This is LEC Online Church. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. Open your Bible this morning to the book of um, Matthew chapter 24. We're going to finish up our growth series that we've been doing over the past number of weeks. We've been talking about the basic fundamentals of faith and we've been preparing ourselves for the conversations that we believe that we are supposed to have with unbelievers. You may remember that we asked the question at the beginning, if somebody approached you and wanted to know who Jesus was, what would you tell them? If somebody wanted to know about the Holy Spirit, if somebody wanted to know about God, how would you explain that? Various weeks we've had children and students here on the stage talking about what they understand about faith because we believe that what we truly believe about faith we are teaching to our children. And it provided a level of accountability and feedback for us as a church to hear what our students and children are learning about the Lord. And it's very exciting for me. And we, we're, we're, we're providing these outlines. And if you don't have one, if you'll raise your hand, the ushers will bring one to you. We're providing these outlines so that you can make notes and take it home with you to help you prepare. And I've been very encouraged by the responses. We're even giving you a number that you can text your questions to. And I'm sure this morning there will be other questions. In fact, some of you have already texted me before we ever got to the message this morning. Because we want to have that dialogue. I want you to have that preparation so that you can respond. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the reason for that, in 1 Peter chapter 3, it'll be on the screen. Peter writes, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do it in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So this morning, we want to answer the question, what is the rapture? What is... The rapture. Now this is a fundamental teaching of the New Testament for um, many reasons, but two that I want to raise with you this morning. The first is, is that Jesus promised there was going to be a rapture. In John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself that where I am, there you may be also. On the day that Jesus was translated back to the heavens, ascended to the heavens in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples are standing there, the Bible said the angels spoke. Chapter 1 verse 10, as they were gazing intently, talking about the disciples into the sky while Jesus was going, 
Two men in white clothing stood beside them and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way that you watched him go into heaven. So there is going to be a rapture. So what is it? What does it mean when we talk about the rapture? I'm going to try to explain that to you in three very simple ways this morning. Hopefully you'll be able to understand it. And remember, at the top of that outline, I gave you a number where you can text your questions even while I'm speaking. Very rare that you come to church and they tell you, keep your cell phone close. Keep it open. Keep it active so that you can text your questions, and I'll do my best in the next 24 hours to respond to your question. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word in Matthew 24, beginning with verse 32. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know His return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son Himself. Only the Father knows. Put your finger right there. The next time you hear somebody say 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988, you can just mark them right off. Because nobody knows. You don't have to send 895 to some 800 numbers so you can figure out when Jesus is coming because nobody knows except the Father. Verse 37, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People did not realize what was going to happen. I underlined that in my Bible. Verse 39, people did not realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the, that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Verse 40, powerful words here. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. And you could translate that to any context. Two people will be watching TV. One will be taken, one will be left. Two people will be driving down the road. One will be taken, one will be left. Verse 42. So you, too, must keep watch, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when the burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not forbid his house to be broken into. You must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. You may be seated. One of the important things about Scripture is to remember that you keep things in context. What I mean by that is that in reading Matthew 24, Jesus was asked three questions. When shall these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? 
the dialogue had begun in chapter 24 when Jesus had told the Pharisees, if you tear down this temple in three days, I will rebuild it. And as they were going out of the city, Jesus predicted that every stone of that temple would be destroyed and, and would lay not one on another. And so the disciples wanted to know when that was going to happen. It happened in 70 A.D. Jesus is answering those three questions. So it's important in reading Matthew 24 to keep it in context to where it applies. They ask, when will these things happen? Talking about the temple. What will be the sign of your coming? How will we know when you're going to return? You said in John 14 you were coming back to get us. How will we know when that happens? And what will be end of the end of the world? What will be the signal that we have reached the end of time in the world? And so all of those three are answered in these succeeding chapter 24 and, and 25. So for the time that we have this morning, I want to... I want to just talk a little bit about it, teach a little bit about it, hopefully help you understand how important it is that you have a theology in your heart about the coming of the Lord. In fact, if there were only, and there are many preachers in the room, if I were to advise any preacher, if you only can have three sermons in your library, you need three. You need the cross, you need the resurrection, and you need the coming of the Lord. Because those three are so critically important to the believer. And there's so much controversy and so many people who opinionate and talk about it. And I, and I want to just spend our time right in the Word of God and understand what Jesus said, what the Bible says. We're not going to speculate about what people say. Because the word of people will go away. Jesus said in this passage, heaven and earth will always pass away, but not my word. My word will live. Where do we get the word rapture? In fact, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. It's not there. We get the word rapture from the Latin word rapio and the Greek word rapio because we find it in, in the context when Paul is talking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen. He says, for the Lord himself... We'll descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. That's the word right there. We will be caught up. The word is rapio, which means to be raptured, to be taken up. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's the connotation that there will be a carrying away, there will be a taking up from the earth those believers who belong to the Lord. So let's answer three questions. Here's the first question. What is the purpose of a rapture? Why is it important? What's the purpose of the rapture? What purpose does it serve in the overall purposes of God for creation? And where does it fit in the big picture of God's redemptive plan? Well, let me take you back to the Garden of Eden. And let's remember that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, it was a perfect world without sin until Eve and Adam were deceived and ate the forbidden fruit and sin entered the world. And everything at that moment changed. We talked about it a couple times in this series. That everything changed in that moment, the all of the world was altered by that decision that was made that day. 
childbirth was altered that day because of what happened there. And, and death came into the world and people died. There was no plan for people to die until they ate of that forbidden fruit. Everything changed. God's relationship to man changed. Remember we talked about in week one about the fact that God wants to walk with you. He wants to walk with you in the garden. But he can only walk with you when you have dealt with your sin issue because God is not involved with sin. He doesn't engage with sin. And so when you sin, when you live in sin, when you have unrepented sin, unforgiven sin in your heart, God can't walk with you. And the Garden of Eden changed that. And so what the rapture is designed to do in Scripture is to restore everything that God had in mind in that garden. The rapture is the launching point of God putting everything back together. Because when you start with the rapture, and we'll go through this a little, when you start with the rapture and go forward, you see God putting everything back in place. And at the end of Scripture, you hear Him say, I saw a new heaven and a new earth come down from above. Because God is going to dwell with His people again, just like He wanted to dwell with them in the garden. So the rapture is the starting point of God putting everything back in place the way that it was. With creation, creation became disordered. Pastor Dustin helped me here with this part of the message. We tried to think of a word that you could get your mind wrapped around. But what, what's happened since the Garden of Eden is that creation has been disordered and the world is in a constant state of decay. Now the world's phrasing of that is climate change. Because the world is disordered, isn't it not? More earthquakes than ever. More convulsions, more tornadoes, more hurricanes. Crazy weather. I got off the plane last night. I've been in Arkansas for a few days doing some training there. I got off the plane last night in Cleveland, Ohio. At nine minutes after eight, it's 76 degrees. You talk about disorder. Not in November, not in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm good with it, but it's not normal. And the Bible talks about this. He talks about that creation has been messed up ever since Adam and Eve in the garden. Romans chapter 8 verse 20. Against its will. Listen to these words. Against its will all creation was subjected to God's curse. When Adam and Eve sinned and God cursed the ground, the whole earth was subjected through none of its own. The created world that God designed. That when God created its very beginning, He had a utopia, an idyllic setting for the world. But sin changed that. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. In other words, creation. And this is the way that Paul wrote about it. He said, creation's groaning. Waiting for the day when God is going to put everything back together the way that it was supposed to be. Listen to what God said in Genesis 3. Might help you understand why things are the way they are at your house. He said to Adam and Eve, he said to Adam, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. 
All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. In other words, God said, look, because you made this choice, the earth is cursed. Thorns and thistles, briars, weeds. They only grew up in this world because of sin. Now those of you that till in your garden, you know that. It's the devil that brings those weeds out. Those weeds are like the devil. They'll never leave you alone. You can dig them out and they come right back tomorrow. But there were no weeds before sin. All of our lives were changed. In fact, just a moment ago, we got a text from Edna O'Baker. Her mother has just passed away. And we pray right now for Edna. We pray over her family. But death was not a part of God's plan. And because of sin, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, meaning every person who's hearing my voice right now, you're going to die. You're not going to live forever. You're going to die. Unless the rapture takes place, you're going to die. And all of that happened because the world was turned upside down and creation was disordered because of the sin that Adam and Eve committed. Second question. Where does the rapture fit in the timeline of end times? Now Tracy Best and I, Tracy go over here. Tracy and I spent nine weeks teaching last year on Wednesday nights on the book of Revelation. And I would encourage you if you have not heard these, not because of me, but really because of Tracy, I would encourage you to go and watch those nine weeks of videos that are on our Facebook page in the video section. There's a lot of great material there about the end time and how you understand those end time things. There's a couple of terms though that we need to get our mind wrapped around so we can understand this. The first of them I've already said is the rapture, the word rapture, what it means. It's this sudden and unannounced coming of Jesus to catch away the living believers and resurrect the dead believers to glorified bodies. What does that mean? It means that when you, as I, I told you before, you are body, soul, and spirit. You were made from the dust of the earth. When you die, you go back, to, your body goes back to the ground. Your soul goes to the presence of the Lord and your spirit returns to God who gave it. When Jesus comes back, He's bringing you back so that your body will be, uh, you'll have a new body, a resurrected body, Paul said, a glorified body. Your, your body, there'll be a new body. So in that graveyard where they bury you, in some miraculous, unexplainable way, God is going to reunite your soul with that body. And you're going to be changed, the Bible said, in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The resurrection. In fact, when we were, we were burying my grandmother, I went with my dad to pick the plot out. And the guy's like, this is a good place here, you know, whatever. And I, I asked the man, I said, uh, which way is the east? And the guy said, well, it's right there. That way right there. I said, can we, can we have a spot that just points in that direction? He said, why? I said, because when the resurrection happens, my grandma's getting up out of this grave. 
She'll already be in a resurrection position if she's facing to the east because he's coming east from the west. Our bodies are going to be changed and glorified. And, and, and I know as a human being it's hard to get your mind around that, but there's going to be a moment when God is going to change this body which is decaying. You understand that? You're decaying. I went for my physical the other day. I've been five, seven and a half my whole life. And they put me up there on the thing and she said, well, congratulations, Mr. Isaac, you're five, seven. I said, no, I'm not. I'm five, seven and a half. She said, no, you're not. You're five, seven. I said, well, we're going to measure again. I'm five, seven and a half. She said, Mr. Isaac, you're shrinking. I said, you're fired. I'll find me another doctor. I'm five, seven and a half. And she said, no, you're not. I said, well, listen, just do me a favor. Can you just write five, seven and a half on the chart? I mean, does it really make that much difference? Why do you want to load me down with all of that to go home and figure out why I'm shrinking? I got my chart back. It said 5-7. We're decaying. Our bodies are decaying. But we're going to get a new body in the rapture. Second word is tribulation. Now, the word tribulation is used in the book of Revelation to talk about a seven-year period that is mentioned in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation, and here in the book of Matthew, during which an Antichrist is going to be raised up. He will be announced to the world. The seven years will be divided probably in two, three and a half year periods. The latter half being referred to in Matthew 24 as the Great Tribulation. It's going to be a time of God's wrath. It's going to be a time of evil. And as a result, that seven-year period fits right into God's timeline. And it's important to know what that is. There's going to be seven years. The first three and a half years, and I don't have time to preach all of this, but again, text your questions. First three and a half years will be somewhat peaceful. The second three and a half years will be horrible. It's what Jesus refers to in 24, uh, chapter 24 when he says, when you see this, talking about a sign that he's giving there, He's talking about how the temple in Jerusalem is going to be desecrated. When you see that, run. That's going to be a signal. That's the, that's the middle point of that tribulation. That's going to be the second three and a half years. You're going to see death and the Antichrist and evil forces are going to try to do everything they can to wipe God's name off of the earth. Tribulation is an important concept to understand. Don't be afraid of it, but just understand what it is. Seven years when the rapture takes place, there'll be seven years of time that will begin. And then the last one is the, is the second coming. So there's a rapture, a tribulation, and a second coming. It refers to the announced. Remember that the first one, the rapture, is unannounced. The second one is an announced coming of Jesus Christ with all of His saints to the earth. Battle of Armageddon. And Jesus is going to set up his reign upon the earth. That second time when he comes, he's going to come back with all of the saints. And we're going to be reigning and ruling on this earth. But the devil and his crowd will be put out of business. So what are we going to do during those seven years? Well, the Bible calls that the marriage supper of the Lamb. I think we're going to eat for seven straight years. Without getting fat. Chicken and biscuits and gravy. 
You can have all the sawmill gravy you want to have in those days. You don't have to worry about your cholesterol. And I'm pretty sure we'll have Diet Mountain Dew to drink. Why am I telling you all this? Because there's, there's, it's important, I think, to understand this. So let me, let me walk through it very carefully and then we'll get to the last question. If you hear someone say that they believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, You'll hear that a lot. This is what this church teaches. In a pre-tribulation rapture, what we're saying is that we believe the rapture of the church will occur prior to the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. That rapture means the church, or believers, will escape the wrath and the judgment that will come upon the face of the earth during the tribulation. In fact, during one of those nine weeks, Tracy talked about the great hailstones that were sent down upon the earth in judgment. And I believe a third of the people of the earth died. We believe, we believe the Bible teaches, I'll show this to you in a moment, that we will escape that judgment because we will be gone. Luke 21, 34, 36 says this. Listen very carefully. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Talking about the coming of the Lord. For it will come on all those that live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, that you'll be able to stand before the Son of Man. Then if you hear somebody say, well, I don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe in a post-tribulation rapture. And there's a lot of people that do. Doesn't mean they're bad people. This isn't one of those hills to die on. But there are people that believe in a post-tribulation rapture. What they mean is they believe the rapture will occur, but it will occur at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And in that theory, in that teaching, the rapture, the church will happen at the end, and so then believers, you and I, will go through the tribulation. Some will be killed and will die because of their refusal to take the mark of the beast. That's a whole other whole teaching. There are some people who believe in what's called a mid-tribulation. Not as many. Most people are pre-tribulation. Some are post, and then there are some that are called mid and they believe that the rapture will take place at that dividing point that I talked about, that three and a half year period before what Daniel calls the abomination of desolation, which is that desecration of the temple in Jerusalem. Before the mark of the beast is announced, the church will be taken out during that period of time. Now, what does that mean to you this morning? It means very little unless you get this point. It doesn't matter whether you are pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, or mid-tribulation. The thing that all of them have in common is there's going to be a rapture. And you have to be ready. You have to be ready. So no matter how you believe it, no matter what your interpretation of that is, it doesn't change the fact that there will in fact be a rapture of the church. Here's the last question. What must a person do in order to be ready for the rapture? Who's Jesus coming after? When he comes back, he's going to come suddenly. We're not going to know the day. In fact, seriously, and I'm not being sensational here. 
the rapture of the church could take place right now. You could just be right here and, and gone. I don't know who would be in charge of the service, but somebody would be here, I'm sure. That was very cruel, was it not? Can we edit that out of the video? How, how, how can you be sure that you are ready for the rapture? Let me give you two things. Number one, you must accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I absolutely guarantee you, you will not go in the rapture if you are not saved. Jesus is coming back for His bride. He's coming back for His people. And if you are not one of His people, He's not going to take you out of this world. He's not going to resurrect you out of your grave if in fact you are not one of His. So in order to be ready for the rapture, in order for you to be rapture ready, you must accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You have to be somebody that acknowledges, sincerely acknowledges and accepts that Jesus Christ is God's Son. We talk about this a lot. It's not words, it's not going to church, it's not being a member of the church, it's not paying your tithes, it's not volunteering for a charity. That, that has nothing to do with being ready for the rapture. If you don't acknowledge Jesus Christ, if you do not accept Him as your Lord and Savior, you cannot go to heaven. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And secondly, you must live a committed and holy life before the Lord. I say this carefully, but I say it sincerely, and I've I've tried to weigh the words and, and, and imagine how they're going to sound when you hear them. But listen to what I'm saying. Just knowing who Jesus is. Just acknowledging that He is God's Son, but never committing your life. Never committing your life to Jesus. Never making the decision to repent from your sin and walk away from your sins does not make you ready for the rapture. The Bible says it like this, that demons, devils, believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. So just believing in Jesus is not going to be enough. You have to accept Him as Lord and Savior, and then you have to live a committed and holy life. Remember, we have said this from the very beginning, that God cannot engage or entertain sin. And if there is sin in your life, you will not go in the rapture. When I say that, some of you immediately probably come back and go, well, now you told us the other day that, that you're the worst sinner we, that anybody knows. Yeah, we are, we're all sinners by nature. We have a sinful nature. If we are not sanctified, if we're not surrendered to Jesus Christ, our very nature runs straight to sin. But there is a point at which we acknowledge our sin, we repent from our sin, and we commit ourselves to live lives our, as best we can without sinning. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. We are sanctified, the Bible said, by His Word, by the Holy Spirit to live a clean, holy life before God. Do we still make mistakes? Of course. 
when we make mistakes, we ask God to forgive us. And you know what the Bible said? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But if you are the kind of person that says, well, I'll just do this stuff. I'll tell God that I'm sorry and then I'll just keep doing it. See, that's not living a holy and consistent committed life to Christ. You have to be willing to walk away from your sin. You have to be willing to live according to the word of God. You have to be willing to be obedient with your life. And the weight of this moment is so heavy on me. Because I meet more people all the time who have what I call a very lazy Christianity. They just come to church. But yet, they're not smart enough to realize that they post all this stuff on social media and you see them out there in the places of the world just like the world. You can't live in the world and hold Jesus' hand. I love every one of you, but you can't. You can't name the name of God and live a lifestyle of sin. You can't do things that violate God's word and claim that you love Jesus. Jesus told this story in Matthew 25 and it it slides right with this whole thing that Jesus was saying in Matthew 24. In 25 he said there there were ten virgins and they were waiting for the bridegroom to come to get them. Five of them had oil in their lamp and five of them did not. Their oil ran out while they were waiting. They had enough oil, they thought, for the duration, but the oil ran out in their vessel. And they said to the five that had oil, can we borrow from you? They said, we, don't, we can't loan it to you because we don't know how much longer we're going to wait. If we give you oil, we may all run out. But you can go buy more oil. And the Bible said that while they went to buy more oil, the bridegroom came. And then... They come back and the door is closed and they knock on the door and say, let us in. And the Bible said, he said to them, I don't know you. It's a powerful story. Go read it for yourself. But notice this here. They were all virgins. They were all virgins. But five of them were not ready when the bridegroom. What does it say? It says that you can be named among the people of God. You can be in the church at Lake Erie. You can be on the roll at Lake Erie. You can read your Bible every day. But if you don't have your life lined up the way God has asked you to line up, when it comes time, you're not going. The Bible said that we should pray to be worthy to escape. That worthiness is Jesus. He's the one that makes us worthy. There were ten virgins. Five were taken. Five were left. Jesus said there are two men working in the field. One is taken. The other's left. What is he trying to tell you? He's telling you there are people that think they are ready, but they're not. Just stay with me just a second. I'm going to ask for no more movement in the building. Everybody stay put. Ushers, help me. Just, everybody just sit tight. Don't anybody else walk in or out if you can. 
I'll be done in five minutes. Here's my concern. The reason I'm preaching this message today, here's my concern. That some of you think you're ready, but you're not. And that's not me judging. I'm not judging you. What I'm saying is, is that you think that the form of godliness that you have bought into, the form of religiosity that you are engaged in, you quickly will tell people, I go to church every week. Your record reflects that you're faithful to give and tithing and you volunteer for every charitable, benevolent action you can. But you have never taken stock of the fact that your life is not conforming to God's will. And one of the tragedies of a future day is going to be the day that you come to a church service and we're not here. And you realize that you had all of this opportunity to get ready, but you love the things of this world so much that you thought there would be time for you to get ready. And the Lord came and you weren't ready. I said this to someone one time and they said, well, I can appreciate what you're saying. Let me tell you what my backup plan is. I thought that was hilarious that he had one. If I miss the rapture, I'll just catch the next load in the tribulation. And here's what I said to him, here's what I'm saying to you. If you think, because you live in the spirit of an age of grace now, God's mercy, God's grace. You know how easy it is to accept Jesus Christ? You know how easy it is to serve the Lord? I'm, I'm not saying it's easy to serve the Lord, but how easy it is to become a believer? In the tribulation, you may have to look an official in the eye and say, you can go ahead and cut my head off, but I'm not going to deny Jesus. All right, let me give you another scenario. You and your wife, you love to party, you love to go to bars, you love to have the big time party with your friends, and you wanted to stay connected to that world, but you also wanted to keep sure that you were saved and go to church. The rapture takes place and you miss the rapture. So now you and your wife decide, okay, we've got to buckle down here, we're going to need to make some things right, get some things in order. Because we want to, we want to be, we want to make it through the tribulation. We want to get through. Then your baby gets sick, and you take your baby down here to UH Hospital, and they say, "We have what your baby needs, but we notice in the record that you don't have an authorization to buy or sell." And you say, well, but we decided that we were not going to take the mark because we're believers. And they'll say, well, that's all well and good, but we can only sell you the medicine and give you the medical treatment for your baby if you take that mark. 
and we've got somebody here. They can go ahead and take care of you right now. They can give you this mark, and we'll go ahead and make sure that your baby gets the medication that you need. And you realize that if you take that mark according to Scripture, you're forever damned. You, you have no way of salvation. There is no pathway to salvation because you just aligned yourself with the devil against God. But you love your baby. And you and your wife are tortured by the idea that if you don't take this medicine, your baby is going to die. So what do you do? Do you just simply say, we're going to let our baby die? I doubt it. I doubt it. In fact, the lack of courage that you have shown up to this point to serve the Lord and give your life to the Lord, your inability to simply decide that you were going to be a Christ follower and you were going to lay down the things of this world, doesn't lead me to believe that you're going to look somebody in the eye and say, my baby can die, but I'll never, never deny Jesus. You're going to walk right over there and take that mark because you want your baby to have the medication that they need. And I'm not judging anybody in the room today, but I am issuing you this challenge. Don't play the fool. Today is the day of salvation. Today is an opportunity for you to make the commitment and start your life toward Jesus. Today's the day to walk away from sin. Today is the day to put aside your sinful behavior and begin to walk with God and live for God so that you can be ready when the trumpet of the Lord sounds. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.